magically appear on the screen behind us because uh, we want to take care of you. So we're going to take some time over the next few weeks uh, to just uh, look, the, these few weeks leading up to Easter. Easter is about six weeks away. Do you know that? And so we're going to take some time leading up to these leading up to Easter, to explore and discover the person of Jesus. Is that okay? Can we just talk about Jesus for a few weeks? I mean, he's kind of awesome. He's sort of the reason we're all here. And there is no, there is no greater pursuit you can have in the world than to pursue and to get to know and fall in love with Jesus. Just Jesus. He, he's so awesome. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at uh, some of the names used to describe Jesus and what that means for you and me today. Um, We'll be specifically mining the book of John, uh, because I like John, and he's cool. There, there, there are other ways, there's, some of these are ways that John describes Jesus, and some of these will be ways that Jesus describes himself. <clears throat> you know, the season that we are entering into right now, uh, starting last week, um, on the Christian calendar, it's the season of Lent, and some of you know what that is. Some of you may not know what that is, but it's, it's an ancient uh, celebration for centuries. This has been a time uh, for reflection for Christians to, of concentrating on the person of Jesus, uh, what he went through in his life, what he went through in his death, and the 40 days of Lent is a way by which we build up towards Easter. Easter is kind of a big celebration. It's, it's as big as it gets. That's the best day that's ever been, Easter. And so Lent is a way we kind of, we do honor to Easter by, by stepping back and walking in the dust of Jesus. And we build up to that event. And we, we sort of enter into ourselves, we enter into that sacrifice that Jesus made. And we do that by examining ourselves during this season. Um, often what happens is uh, you might consider what you might fast, uh, in our lives as a spiritual discipline. So people do that. So you might consider fasting. You might run across people at work who are celebrating Lent and what they're doing is fasting something over these six weeks. For some people, that's food, you know, or a meal during the day or something like that, or a particular, um, particular meals, particular food. Uh, it might be chocolate. Um, it might be TV, whatever it is that God may lead you to give up. Uh, don't give up church. That would be, you know, an exercise in missing the point. Right. So don't give up church. Um, so keep, going, keep doing that. Um, I know of a guy who gave up cigarettes during Lent. So I'm going to give up cigarettes. I'm going to hand that over to the Lord. And you know what? Lo and behold, Easter came around. He found he was free of that, that bondage. So hey, you never know. You never know what God will do uh, during this exercise, this discipline. So there you go. That's my little public service announcement about Lent. All the ex-Catholics in the room just got a nice warm feeling. Um, or a shudder, <laughs> depending on your history with Catholicism. We love our Catholic brothers and sisters, and we love all, all of our ex-Catholic brothers and sisters here generations. We love everybody. Hallelujah. Right, have you found John? Okay. So John, there are four Gospels. If you're not real familiar with it all, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, each of these are, these are four direct first-person accounts of the life of Jesus. They're beautiful to read, and each writer has, its own, has his own style. He even has his own audience that he's kind of talking to, and so it's fun to read them. Um, I have a soft spot for John. John is unique in these, I think, because he not only gives recollections of the life of Jesus, that happen in Jesus' life, but he also 
sort of philosophizes about what's going on to himself and uh, about this man, Christ, the Son of God. And John, he's so fun to read. He's so, whenever, because he, he's in the story, he's one of these disciples of Jesus, right? And so when he talks about himself, he doesn't, talk, he doesn't say, and John did this. He doesn't say, like, and I did this. He's very humble. He says, and the disciple that Jesus loved was there also. <laughs> the disciple Jesus loved, right? John had a, he, he, he understood, oh, Jesus loves, he loves, and he was a disciple that Jesus loved, which just, just had to bug the other disciples so much, right? <laughs> Jesus went down to the shoreline with Peter and James and the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, Peter just had to be like, he loves everybody, dude, get over yourself, right? But that was John. He, he knew how much Jesus loved him. Uh, he couldn't help but talk about it. But it's brilliant. It's beautiful. John's kind of the poet of the four Gospels, if you know what I mean. So it, it's, it's incredible to read. It's almost as if he had help. Almost, oh, yeah, that was a joke. Okay, so John, he even tells us his purpose statement. In, uh, in chapter 20, John says this. He sa- this is why he wrote his account. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he lays it right out on the table. This is why I'm writing this. I'm writing this to increase faith, to lead to faith for spiritual seekers, those people looking for truth. Was this yours right here? Is this yours? Is it mine? Oh, okay. I thought it was half full. Okay. Just a second. Hmm? Mm. All right, sorry. Awkward pause. All right, so, so this is incredible. What this means is this is an incredible book of the Bible for all of us to read. It's a, it's a great book for, for Christians to read. It's a great book for non-Christians to read, to get to know Jesus, for new Christians. And what that means is it's, it, it's a great book for all of us to come together and learn together. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we can all come together and learn about Jesus. Th- this book was written for you, whoever you are, wherever you are. This book was written for you. So let's, let's launch right into verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, I just got to say something first. Sorry, this passage, oh man, this passage is so profound it's, it's something, since it, since it was written, it has launched like 2,000 years of, of study and passion and debate and spiritual seeking. It's it just of what it means, what's going on. So I feel pretty confident, you know, over the next 30 minutes, we'll be able to uh, get it all ironed out and discover it completely. Here we go. Anyway, here we go. You ready? You ready? Ready? This is it. This is, I mean, this is the passage, the end all passages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Boom! Right? I don't think there has ever been, exactly, I don't think there's ever been so much spiritual truth packed into one sentence. We could do a whole series. We could spend the whole summer just talking about this one verse. And he's going to go on to explain down in verse 14 that this word is Jesus. He says here, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the word that John speaks of. That's kind of crazy. That means Jesus doesn't just come and proclaim words of God. He's not just telling us the words of God. He is the word of God. His whole life embodies the word of God. 
let's, let's kind of unpack this verse a little bit. It starts off. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 2 continues. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Okay, right off the bat, look at how this, this verse begins. In the beginning. When I say that, what other book of the Bible comes to mind immediately? Yes, look at you students of the word. Genesis, Genesis 1-1. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that these are the first words of the Old Testament. Genesis 1. John even uses the same Greek phrasing as the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament they used in his day. So to anyone reading these words of John... Back then, it would have been immediately clear what he's doing. The writer is clearly echoing, on purpose, the creation narrative of Genesis 1. Why? Well, there's a few things going on here, and we're going to talk about them today. The first thing is, John is making it very, very clear, so there can be no doubt as to the pre-existence of Jesus. That Jesus Christ was not just like you and me. He wasn't just like a dude that popped into the world one day. But he was around at the beginning of time. Paul says in Colossians 1.17, he says, Christ is before all things. So the writer here, he's playing off the fact that when I say to you, if you've never read this before, and I say to you, in the beginning, the next word you expect to hear is what? God. God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John very cleverly inserts here this surprise of the word after in the beginning so that, again, we fully understand that saying God, we are saying the word because the word is God. The word is God. And he goes on to talk about the word in the verse that follows, that this word is part of the creative process. Again, echoing Genesis 1. And when we look back at Genesis, how did God create he speaks things into being, right? God said, let there be light, etc. God said, he's using his words. The word is literally the fundamental element of the creative process with God. The word is the creative force. Psalm 33, 6 says it this way. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. By the word of the Lord. It doesn't say by the power of the or, right, or something like that, by, by faith. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Now, that's a pretty powerful word, whatever that word was, I would say, right? Whatever that was, he spoke. So here's, here's a quick, interesting little physics lesson. If physics can be interesting to you, it is to me. So here, scientifically speaking, the human voice is really just sound waves traveling through the air. Right now, I've got sound waves traveling out of my mouth, and we've got sound waves traveling out of these speakers, and that's, that's what's going on. And these sound waves are traveling with different frequencies, going through space about 1,100 feet per second. And these sound waves travel to you. Now, the average uh, guy speaks at a frequency of about 125 Hertz. 125 hertz. It sounds, let's see if we pick this up. That's 125 hertz. You hear that? Mm, that's a guy. That's the average human male voice in the world, right? The average female speaks at a little bit higher pitch. It's about 200 hertz. That's 200 hertz. So that's the average, right? Female, girl. And of course, you got your outliers. You got Barry White, you know, who's singing like that. 
here. And then you got, you know, Christina Aguilera, who was singing really high. So they're, they're, they're the outliers. But the vocal range, the absolute range for our voices tend to be between 55 and 880 hertz. That's as low and high as we can go. After that, it's dog whistles, right? Our voices just won't go any lower than 55 or higher than 880. Now, when you think about our voices, our voices are pretty much good for one thing. Uh, We use our voices, whether we're singing, whether we're talking or whispering or shouting, whatever we're doing, we are using them to communicate, right? That's what we use our voices for. And we all have different pitch and tone, that sort of thing, but basically we're all doing the same thing. We're using these sound waves to express ideas. So when we talk about sound or words or voice, we automatically, you and I tend to think in that 55 to 880 range. That's just kind of what our brains think about. But here lies the difference between our voices and the voice of God. Because God doesn't just use his voice to say stuff. God uses his voice to create stuff. His voice creates stuff. I mean, what was the point? Think, what was the point of God saying, let there be light? Was it for the benefit of the angels so they understood him? No, they weren't part of the creative process if they were even there at all. I don't know, right? Was it so the light understood what he was saying? No, because the light wasn't there before he said it, right? So the power of God's word, the power of God's word is released when he expresses it, when he expresses, when he manifests his desires. That is when the power of God is released. When God speaks, his intention becomes reality. It becomes matter when he speaks. Now, in terms of John 1, this means that Jesus Christ represents God's profound spoken intention toward all of us, toward all of creation. Jesus Christ is the word. It's the physical enfleshed reality of his intention, his, the manifestation of his will towards humanity. Through him were all things made. Jesus is the embodiment of the intention, the profound will of God. Jesus even says in John 12, he said, I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. He said in John 5, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God's intention toward us. The Son of God, the Word, the manifestation of the will of God. Now this reveals a pretty powerful truth about words, even our words. And that is this, that the word is a manifestation of the will. The word is a manifestation of the will. Now, this is where uh, physics come back into play. Experts tell us that sound is at the basic level a form of energy. Form of energy. And according to the science of bioacoustics and those guys who are into that, everything in existence, everything in the universe starts out as a sound wave. I find that very, very interesting when you're looking at the very moment of creation. Now, when you get beyond our vocal range, that 55 to 880 hertz, you get, and then you get beyond our hearing range, because we can hear even more than that. You get beyond, our, we can hear from about 20 hertz all the way up to 20,000 hertz. That's really, really high. That's where it really starts to get annoying, right? That 20,000 hertz. 
sound starts to do some amazing things outside of those barriers, right? That's when you start getting supersonic, okay? Things like ultrasound. Ultrasound. You can use ultrasound to locate submarines under the ocean. Isn't that amazing? They can use it to break glass. Ultrasound can kill insects and topple buildings. It can repair tissue and break up stones in your body. Ultrasound. Isn't that amazing? It can pasteurize milk. I found out. I did not know that. It can drill through hard material. It can photograph unborn babies, right? And of course, it can drive dogs crazy, which is the funnest use of ultrasound. (laughs) That little supersonic thing. Yeah. But words are powerful. Our words are powerful. A kind word, think about it, a kind word can pump somebody up all day. You know, and 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 an unkind word could devastate them. And an unkind word can wound us. But even as powerful as our words are, you know, think about it. They have a beginning and they have an end. God's word, Jesus Christ, has always been. He was there from the beginning of time. In that time that the, the ancient Celts would have called the before the before. That time, as, as they would have phrased it. Jesus was and is He's the eternal past stretching into the eternal future. Jesus, the Word. Before anything else was, the Word was. John 17 says, just Jesus speaking, he says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I shared with you before the world was. So Jesus was a part of the original creative act. Okay, we've established that. What's even better, though, that we find out through John, that he reveals is that through Jesus, a new creation is starting. See, John is is referencing creation on purpose. He's not just telling old news here. Something new is happening, John tells us. He's echoing the first creation because this, this story of Jesus begins an era of new creation. When the word comes on the scene, it's creation 2.0. Amen? He's the announcement. Come in the flesh that something new is happening. Something new. God is rebooting creation. He's giving creation a second start. Hallelujah. He's recreating our souls, our spirits, eventually leading to the recreation of all that is. He's redeeming all of creation to him. That, that is this opening salvo of John 1.1. That's, happen- that's what's happening in this first verse. Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, so then if anyone is in Christ, that person is a part of the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. That is good news. That is good news. The old things have passed away. Look, new things have arrived. Amen? You're being really quiet. Are you just soaking it all in, or did I lose you with the megahertz thing? Okay. Right? The new creation has arrived. Right? New creation language is part of the new, new covenant. God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing through Jesus, and we would expect there to be changes. We're starting to get a taste as we read this of who John was convinced that Jesus was. And, and this is why it's so important for us to understand that Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He came to do away 
with the whole religion thing all together and invite us into this whole new kingdom, a whole new way of living. It's a new reality, inviting us into a new humanity. That's, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Now, as we look at this, we start to understand why. Why does God, or why does John use this word, the word? Why does he say the word to introduce Jesus? Why the word? Why not the deed? That would have been pretty good. In the beginning was the deed, and the deed was with God, and the deed was God, right? Why not the lamb, the lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world, or the power, or the thought, you know? In the beginning was the thought, or the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ. There's all kinds of really good things John could have used right here. It's not, it's not a common thing at all in the, in the Gospels to call someone a word. But another reason he does it, I believe, is because God puts a high value on communication and on relationship. The Son of God exists as an expression of God. He's telling us about himself when he gives us Jesus. God's saying, here here I am. This is me. He's offering us himself. Jesus exists as an expression of God, not just his ideas or his thoughts, but the person of Jesus is an expression of God himself. Matthew Henry says this, the plainest reason why the Son of God is called the Word seems to be that as our words explain our minds to others, so was the Son of God sent in order to reveal his Father's mind to the world. Now, when Jesus... Or when John says that Jesus was the Word, that would mean something very poignant to his Jewish audience, to those people reading that for the first time. In Jewish philosophy and Jewish thinking, uh, the, the Word is directly tied to God's activity or his revelation. That's what the Word meant to them. The Old Testament concept of the Word is always about God revealing himself. God's revealing himself through the word. He spoke creation into being, right, using the word. God revealed his will in the Old Testament through the prophets. So whenever the word comes down on someone, it's, it's the revelation of God. So to his Jewish audience, clearly to call someone the word would, would be to say that they were the expression of God to mankind. That's what they would have received so the word is, is a message from God to us. When you and I use the word, word, we, we, you know, we think of kind of a string of letters, you know, that form a word, right? We might, and we might would use it, and to some extent, as this expression of will or something. We might would say to each other, hey, hey, I'd like to have a word with you, right? I want to communicate to you. Or we might say, what's the word on the street? What's the news? Matthew Fox says, the word here in John 1.1, 1, 1, it doesn't just mean word as understood linguistically. I love this. But it's rather an irresistible creative energy exploding into voluptuous and prodigious creativity. That's awesome. I wish I had wrote that. That's good. So when we hear the word, word, either written or spoken, we think of a string of letters. But that's just the tip of the iceberg here. The word in John 1, the Greek word used there is this word logos. Logos. And logos is multidimensional, right? It means language. It means the expression of ideas. Yeah, but, but it also means logic and reason. It means revelation. It means the sum total of everything that God has ever said or done. The logos. It means power. The Greeks recognized the logos as not just 
the word, but it, it, to them it was the word in action. You might think of a soldier who tells his commander, give the word, say the word, and it's done, right? The, the Greek philosophers used logos to refer to the force that structured the universe. The force that structured the universe. So what do we take from all this? Jesus is all that. He is all that. His language, his logic, his revelation, his power are unparalleled. John is letting us know right from the start that this word is a word that will make a difference. And not only in the world, but in your life. This word will make a difference in your life. This word is a guiding principle we can trust. We can pattern our lives after Jesus. We can pattern our lives after him. We can follow him. David in the Psalms says this, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, in the past, meaning the Old Testament, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You get that? Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. There's that creative reference to the word again. Now he has spoken to us through Jesus. He starts by referring to what had been written down. See, back then they had, the, they had the Torah, they had most of the Old Testament, and it was written down in books, God's word to the prophets. But in verse 2, he's telling us, now God has spoken to us directly in the form of his son, Jesus. He speaks to us through this word, Jesus. That's what we, that's what we look to. Okay. In the last few minutes that we have this morning, I want to go back to this verse. Let's unpack it a little bit more. There's some other things here that are pretty cool. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Both of these phrases, it turns out, he's not just kind of being uh, verbatious here. They both turn out to be necessary to catch the profound nature of what John wants to say. And if you take away either one, then you're not getting the whole picture. First, he says, with God. The word was with God. He's saying the word is not the Father, but he is with the Father. Jesus is somehow distinct, different, but he's in relationship with, unity with God. Now, if you had just stopped right there, you'd have a very different kind of theology, wouldn't you? If we just stopped right there, you wouldn't have anything really all that shocking to say to people back then. You'd be saying, there's God, and then there's Jesus. And they've always been, right? Sitting around like two friends sharing the cosmos, you know, and you kind of have like this idea of these two deities hanging out together. Or if you leave out the other thing, if you just say, in the beginning, the word was God, well, there, now you're just saying that the two are the same thing. The word was God. You're merely saying, here's another name for God, the word, right? Feel free to call him the word, Mr. Word, God, whatever you want to call him. God is the word. The word is God. Let's all go home. But to say the word was with God and he was God, you're peeling back the layers of, of a profound understanding of the heart of God. The heart of God. Yes, it's a reference to the doctrine of the Trinity. 
but he reveals, he reveals that the word can be with God, in relationship to God, and somehow still be God. But it, what he's revealing to us is that God is internally relational. Internally relational. Even the Greek word he uses for with is this word pros. It indicates interaction and moving together toward a goal or destination. Like when you say to a, a friend, if you said to a friend, hey, I'm with you, right? If you're with your buddy and they're fixing to get in a fight and you go, I'm with you, man. I got your back. That's a lot different than saying, I am physically present here. I'm going to stay right here. Good luck. Right? But I'm with you. Right? Whatever, you know, or if you say to your spouse, whatever you decide, I'm with you. I'm with you. It means something. That's this, this word that's used there. It's relational. I've got your back. This is why the scriptures can say in, in uh, 1 John 4 that God is love. Think about that. God is love. God has always been, right? Have you and I always been? No. Has existence always been? No. But God is love. That means God is intrinsically relational while still being one. That'll blow your mind. Because the word, even in the Greek, the word used theos, it's singular, right? So it's still fiercely monotheistic here. We're not, you know, building a pantheon of gods here. Yet within this singularity of God is relationship, which makes sense because if God is love, he must have been love before there was anything else beside God. He must have been love. That means he is intrinsically relational. You can't be loving if there's nobody to relate to, right? It'd be like calling yourself a romantic. I'm a romantic, yeah. But actually, you don't like people. <laughs> or you're really shy around anyone, right? You may like long walks on the beach and sitting by a fire. That's cool. But if you call yourself a romantic, we ought to be able to observe your life and see that that is true. Right? I mean, if you put romantic on your online dating profile, um, but we find out actually you're a hermit, you know, living in a van down by the river uh, because you don't like interacting with people, then you'd be more honest to say, I wish I were romantic. I'd like to be romantic. If I could just convince someone to visit me in my van down by the river. Yeah. Not creepy at all. <laughs> right. Some things are not what they are until they're expressed, but God is love. So you can't say God is love unless God is expressing that in some form, and he has always been expressing that in some form within himself. This, look, if, if you've been napping, okay, I hope it was nice. Wake up now. This is the primal truth, okay? This is the good part, okay? This is the primal truth, right here. It's the foundational truth of all reality. And if you get this, it will affect the way you see life, the universe, and everything. It will affect the way you read the scriptures. It will affect your relationship with God and how you approach God, encounter him. This is the heart of God. His heart is relationship. This is the primal truth. It is love. And therefore, anything in this universe that is worth living for or dying for will be relational. Will be relational if it's in tune with, with the God who created us. And that which is non-relational in our life is 
infinitely secondary to us. This is the primal, foundational truth behind all reality. This is the meaning of life right here, is relationship. The mission of our church is relationship, relationship with God, our fellow man, and the world outside our doors. Relationship. The point of all scripture is not so we would have another list of do's and don'ts to have to follow. It's so that we would see revealed a God who loves us and desires relationship with you. That's the point of scripture. See, if we're, if we're just walking away getting a list of do's and don'ts, we've missed the point. Right? We're giving up church for Lent. <laughs> it's missing the point. So if you're John, imagine being John. How do you explain that truth that is the foundation behind all other foundations? How do you begin to help people realize the reality behind all reality? How do you do it? You can't. How do you explain it? What you do you can't really explain it. What you do is you state it as he did and then you illustrate it in the life of Jesus. It's the only way you can do it, which is what John does. He begins his gospel with this bombshell of a statement. Jesus is the word. Jesus was with God and he was God because he's intrinsically relational. God is love. And then John's saying, I know that's going to blow your mind. I know it. I'll tell you what, just let me tell you about Jesus. Let me just show him to you and it'll start to make sense. And he begins telling us the story of Jesus. And it's a beautiful story. The word made flesh, the word of God walking around. And ultimately, what we see is that God sending his son to the world, it was more than just an act of salvation. I mean, that, that would be enough. But it was more than just salvation. It was an act of relationship. An invitation to be part of this new creation, creation 2.0. God didn't just save us. He didn't just create us and then keep us at arm's length. He reveals himself to us and his passion and love for us he, by putting flesh on his words by turning word into matter. If, uh, if I were to ask you this morning, have you ever heard the audible voice of God? Most of you would say no. I- I'd be right there with you. There might be a few of you who've been blessed. You've, you've like heard the audible voice of God. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. I haven't. I would love to. Um, someday. Uh, I'm waiting for it. But the truth is that while most of us have never heard the audible voice of God. All of us have experienced God's voice. His word made reality. You're sitting in it. You're sitting into his voice made reality. All of creation, this world. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. God's voice is evident all around us reminding us of his nearness, his love. According to linguists, there's about 6,000 languages in the world. 6,000 languages. That means there are 6,000 language barriers. And God bypasses all of them. Every single one. God is not silent. 
His word has been active and creating and proclaiming since the beginning of time. And he loved you so much that he sent his word to heal you, to save you, and to be in relationship with you. He loves you that much. That's the message that God brings us in the person of Jesus. It's time for new creation. And Jesus Christ is our invitation to be a part of that, to begin living in that kingdom right now. That is who Jesus is. Amen? That is who Jesus is. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward now. And as they are, I'm going to pray. And I want to invite you, if you have never had that opportunity or made that decision to ask Jesus into your heart. I invite you to come forward and let these guys pray with you. Let one of these couples pray with you here because they want to pray with you in faith. They love you. Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with every single one of you. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday or today or the day before, what you've done in the past. He wants a new relationship, creation 2.0, to start right now, to start today. And it can start today for you. So I just encourage you to come forward if you'd like prayer for anything at all. Also, anything going on in your life, you just want somebody to use their faith with you, you can come forward and they will pray for you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God. You sent your word and healed them, Father God. You set us free. Thank you, Father God. You have overcome the power of death, hell, and the grave. I praise you, Lord God, for your word. I praise you, Lord God, for sending us Jesus, Father. Thank you, Lord God, that we will get a chance to to study him out and to get to know Jesus more, to get to know him, to fall in love with Jesus a little more every day, I pray, Father God. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us on this journey that we're on. I thank you that you have a plan for us, that you have a future, a good future in store for each and every person, a good will for our lives, Father, and a great destiny for us to do, lots of things for us to accomplish for the kingdom for you, Lord God. Help us to walk in that new kingdom, not in the the ways of this world, Father God, but to walk in the new kingdom, creation 2.0, Father. Help us to walk in that. We praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you guys have a great day and uh, be praying for Pastor and for for, uh, Bob. They're going to be coming back later this week. They'll be flying back to continue praying for their continued safety and for God to move through them to be a blessing to those people in Kenya. In Jesus' name, bye-bye.